fundamentally, what does it mean to be religious? I think most people who claim to be religious are indicating that they believe a set of propositions provided by a particular religious framework. Many of the people who claim such religious affiliation do, in fact, believe those propositions, in the hard sense of belief. These individuals know and understand what they hold to be true, and they would be prepared to defend those beliefs if they were challenged. Others affiliate by default to a particular religious framework out of allegiance to a tribe. We believe such and such. If the tribe believes something else, these people would claim affiliation with that other thing. This is not the same as examining one's own intuitions and reasoning and drawing a religious conclusion. Nor do such individuals necessarily know what it is they claim to be standing for. They stand for the cover of a book without ever having read the words inside. Nevertheless, these two sets of individuals are included in what society understands to be the religious group. I have just distinguished two types which might be called religious, the true believer and the tribal loyalist. They aren't mutually exclusive, but they're not identical either. And to make matters more complicated, one might be religious in a third sense, which I suspect is often what people mean when they claim to be spiritual rather than religious. If you're like me, a statement like, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual, is apt to set your eyes rolling. Why? I think it's because it calls to mind a blonde-haired guy with dreadlocks and an exaggerated California accent. With affiliates to spirituality, we capture some distinct populations, too. There are those who deny Christianity, Buddhism, and Islam, for example, but maintain a belief in God, or a soul, or miracles. In other words, they have some metaphysical beliefs which are shared by certain religions, but they reject the existing frameworks of established religion. Again, this is a position that could be found by individual intuition or reasoning. Alternatively, it might be a tribal affiliation, a preference for the kind of people who claim to be spiritual, an aesthetic relationship to the would-be ideas. It can also capture, as in the case of guys like Sam Harris, a perfectly materialistic non-religious stance which recognizes the existence of morality and truth and takes these ideas very seriously. Nihilism is the idea that life and everything else is meaningless. I recall the debates between Harris and Jordan Peterson. Peterson charges that intellectuals like Harris, or even Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens, may claim to be atheists, but they act as if they believe in God. He makes the claim that actions in this regard speak louder than words. For the record, I have a lot of respect for all the men I just mentioned, including Peterson. What does Jordan Peterson mean, though, by saying that atheists such as these guys act as if they believe in God? He can't be saying that in their heart of hearts, Hitchens and Dawkins and Harris and Daniel Dennett all believe it to be true that Jesus of Nazareth was the literal Son of God, born of a virgin mother, he died for the sins of humanity and was resurrected on the third day. None of those atheists believe any of those things. Peterson is referring to a hierarchy of values, the top of which should be characterized as God. Clearly, Sam Harris has values that he holds very highly, and he would probably include truth and morality, as I do, at the very top. Perhaps he would place, as I think Peterson does, love at the top of the value hierarchy. That, I think, is the reason that Jordan Peterson is sympathetic to Christianity in particular. Peterson attributes a lot of what goes wrong in people's lives to their lack of meaning. The idea is that nihilistic materialism is bankrupt of meaning, and life is way too hard to be taken on in the absence of personal meaning. It seems like a lot of critics of atheism assume that it entails more than it does. They conflate atheism with nihilism or selfishness. Thus, not believing in gods is thought to imply not believing in love, or responsibility, or morality. 
Sam Harris is an atheist as well as a moral philosopher dedicated to the reduction of suffering and the spread of well-being. It is clear that he is a force for good. This must be the way in which Peterson means he, he behaves as if he believes in God. Disbelieving in the existence of gods is based at least in part upon the personified notion of a deity, though. As an atheist, I do not believe in supernatural things, so anything which is true must be natural. It must follow laws of nature, but that doesn't mean that it must be discoverable, or that the laws which it follows must be discernible. Moreover, there are many truths which are not made out of matter. These are conceptual truths, and everything else we know fundamentally depends on them. By naming a deity and assigning it characteristics, especially human-type characteristics, it seems to me that we are dressing up a golden cow. The characteristics we describe, the capacities or virtues themselves, might be real, but the literal personification of them is a mistake, and every claim or characteristic added dresses up the cow the more gaudily. Suppose the word God refers to that which is true and that which is good. Well, I believe strongly in truth and goodness, so count me in. Wait, son, I'm not finished. God is an omnipresent superman who made the earth and all its creatures out of clay 6,000 years ago, demanded that they not engage in homosexual relations or eat crustaceans, and expected a regular tribute of dead oxen. Huh? Doesn't it seem as if the degree to which a person believes in a religion, the further they must be getting from God as truth and the good? I mean this technically. The more propositions you add, the less likely your claim is to be true. For the sake of this discussion, for the benefit of my own thinking here, I will simplify things. I'll collapse spirituality and religion into a single concept. I will reduce the phenomenon I'm interested in to the term religious, where religious refers to an allegiance to certain ideas. I think Jordan Peterson would approve of this characterization. What are my religious commitments? I'm committed to truth and morality, to what is true and what is right. How do I know these are my religious commitments? Because I would make considerable sacrifices to satisfy them, independent of my own personal interests. Could I be made to lay down my life for money or sex or fame or power? No, I could not. Could I be made to lay down my life for the truth or what is right? Yeah, I think I could. So what is my relationship to truth and morality? If I would make sacrifices for their benefit. To call this a religious commitment is, according to my present analysis, perfectly correct. I hold it on faith that there is a truth and that we should not betray it. And morality, according to my thinking, is dependent upon the truth. Morality is what should be done, and this depends very much on what is true. Some moral rationalists, including Sam Harris, are convinced that we can determine what is right from what is true. I think ultimately this cannot be the case. Given certain goals or values and given what is true, I think we can determine what is right to do. But the goals and values must ultimately be foundational. The frustration that we all experienced as Harris and Peterson were having their debate was due to a disparity in the level of analysis and the definition of certain terms. The atheist intellectuals have been strongly criticizing the claims made by religious scripture, uh, scriptures and dogma. There are two kinds of claims that might be criticized, truth claims and moral claims. They are not arguing that truth and morality don't matter. On the contrary, these fundamental values are what their criticisms are based upon. This, I think, is Peterson's point in saying that these guys act as if there is a god. In an important sense, he's right, but not in a naive sense. I am an atheist, but according to the present analysis, I'm deeply religious. Otherwise, what is this obsession with the problem of consciousness? Why do I care so much to discover what I am and what I'm doing here? If this is not a religious quest, then what is? You might say that I'm simply a very curious person. 
and consciousness is so mysterious that it has captured my intellectual interest. That must be true, at least in part. The conscious mind is a unified thing. That, to me, is the biggest clue that should lead us to its physical explanation. There's this idea that the self is an illusion, a construct, and this is made compellingly clear when people experience heroic doses of psychedelic drugs. The dissolution of the ego in a new sense of oneness without loss of consciousness is a phenomenological demonstration that consciousness can exist without a sense of self. What does this mean? I have, on several occasions, divided the notion of the self into two different things, the self-construct and the self as point of view. The point of view is the unity that I'm talking about. We conscious minds do not see or hear or feel ourselves. Rather, we see and hear and feel contents. Whatever I am, I experience contents. The contents are only altogether in one place, in one composition, from this point of view, for me. The psychonaut whose ego has fallen away is nevertheless conscious of content. He no longer identifies with the body, with the thoughts or feelings. He sees, perhaps clearly, that all of the contents are just contents, neither himself nor not himself. But here's the thing. Everything that you see and hear and sense is happening inside of your mind. You are walking around within a world of contents, all in a sense made of consciousness. So what if the mystical experience of high-dose psychedelics is actually revealing this to you? You are one not with the world and its things, but with the contents of your own mind. The illusion, which has been broken, is the illusion that some of the contents of your consciousness belong to you and others belong to the world outside of you. In fact, they are all a single unity. They are all one. But the metaphysical implications of this for many people are, in my judgment, wrong. You are not one with the universe. You are one with the contents of mind. My framework for consciousness, the TICL, accounts for this. The contents of your mind are pieces of it experienced from the perspective of the whole. The contents exist inside of you, not outside. You are some kind of system inside of which there are subsystems you can detect. You cannot detect anything outside of yourself. You are not seeing the lamp across the room. You are experiencing changes in the dynamics of occipital and parietal networks. And you know this to be true because you can dream. You can see the same lamp across the same room when neither the lamp nor the room is present. What these experiences must have in common is the occipital and parietal network which is acting, in the waking case, in the presence of a real lamp, and in the dreaming case, where there is no real lamp. The experience shares its content because the same neural events are being witnessed. In the Netflix show Midnight Mass, there's an ongoing debate between old friends Riley and Aaron over what happens when we die. In the show, Aaron is a believing Christian, and Riley is an atheist with a bit of a chip on his shoulder. He had been a devoted Christian himself, but lost his religion when faced with the horror and arbitrariness of suffering and death. I have a feeling that this is the hurdle which blocks the religious path of a lot of people, the question of how a loving God could allow terrible things to happen to good people. Rather than a materialist decryal of outlandish truth claims made in biblical text, this is a moral argument against the concept of God. Aaron, by contrast, seems to represent the viewpoint that there must be an afterlife to set justice in place. So the dispute is between whether the universe is ultimately good or not. If there is no God, no plan, no metaphysic of justice, then everything is arbitrary. When her unborn daughter dies, Aaron is consoled that she will meet her in heaven. In a sense, the debate is between the proposition that the injustice of life makes a loving God impossible and the proposition that the injustice of life makes a loving God necessary. In other words, terrible things happening is either evidence for or evidence against God. 
It seems to me that it's neither. But that is the, the debate that occurs in the show. Riley ends up sacrificing himself for Aaron, and she goes on to act heroically as the episodes progress. As she's dying, she imagines herself sitting across from Riley and telling him what she thinks happens when you die. But this time, as she's actually bleeding out and dying, she expresses a new perspective. I transcribe this little speech, and I'll share it with you here. Aaron says, quote, Myself. Myself. That's the problem. That's the whole problem. That's the whole thing. That word, self, that's not right. That isn't. That isn't. How did I forget that? When did I forget that? The body stops one cell at a time, but the brain keeps firing those neurons, little lightning bolts like fireworks inside. I thought I would despair or feel afraid, but I don't feel any of that. None of it, because I'm too busy, too busy in this moment, remembering. I remember that every atom in my body was forged in a star. This matter, this body, is mostly just empty space. And solid matter? It's just energy vibrating very slowly. And there is no me. There never was. Electrons in my body mingle and dance with the electrons of the ground below me, and the air I'm no longer breathing, and I remember. There is no point where any of that ends and I begin. I remember I am energy, not memory, not self. My name, my personality, my choices all came after me. I was before them, and I will be after, and everything else is pictures picked up along the way, fleeting little dreamlets printed on the tissue of my dying brain and I am the lightning that jumps between. I am the energy firing the neurons, and I'm returning. Just by remembering, I'm returning home, and it's like a drop of water falling back into the ocean of which it's always been a part. All things, apart, all of us, apart. You, me, and my little girl, and my mother, and my father, everyone who has ever been, every plant, every animal, every atom, every star, every galaxy, all of it. More galaxies in the universe than grains of sand on the beach, and that's what we're talking about when we say God, the One, the cosmos, and its infinite dreams. We are the cosmos dreaming of itself. It's simply a dream that I think is my life every time. But I'll forget this. I always do. I always forget my dreams. But now in this split second, in the moment, I remember. The instant I remember, I comprehend everything at once. There is no time. There is no death. Life is a dream. It's a wish made again and again and again and again and again and on into eternity. And I am all of it. I am everything. I am all. I am that I am. Unquote. I think there are some interesting things in this passage. It was pretty well thought out and written. And I think it presents a framing which many religious individuals and many deep-thinking atheists could agree to. There is a kind of awe that many of us have glimpsed before. A meaning among meanings. There's a kind of recognition of something which is greater than us. We stand in relation to something transcendent. This is how I feel about truth. It's the ultimate standard against which all else compares. To sin means to miss the mark, to be in error. Thus falsehood is sinful. The truth is more important than me. It has always been and always will be. I live in pursuit of it, always falling short but seeking desperately to get closer. Believers in God are offended by atheism in the same way that believers in truth are offended by postmodernism. The latter is the claim that there is no truth. It's so preposterous, it feels to me like a sacrilege. I hold it on faith in the power of empirical methods of epistemology that truth is real. There really is a difference between what is true and what is false. Not only that, but if there is no truth, then it can't be a true statement that there is no truth. Any truth claim must be understood as distinct from the truth. 
I believe that many religious practitioners mistake loyalty to truth claims for loyalty to truth itself. And by the way, I see the same thing in popular culture with regard to scientific claims. Witness this ludicrous quote from Anthony Fauci, the president's chief medical advisor. He said, quote, attacks on me are quite frankly attacks on science, unquote. With all due respect, Doc, quite frankly, go fuck yourself. That isn't how this works. And that is exactly what turns off smart, thoughtful individuals to religious fundamentalism. Science is not a process of appealing to authority. That's what tyranny is. And why is it that an appeal to authority is what passes for religion in our modern Western imagination? The Bible tells us about Jacob wrestling with God and being blessed with the name of Israel. In the same way, there are those of us who wrestle with the truth. We must be fearless. We must do what is right by the truth. Justice can only be found in the truth. We must resist the temptation to use the name of truth in vain. Could it be that what put me off of religion when I was a young man was the intuition that I was so much more religious than its apologists? Well, maybe. But I started this episode out with a working definition of religion as belief in a set of propositions. For me, whether or not to believe in a proposition is a matter of determining its proximity to the truth. Reason and science are the best, indeed the only tools I can apply to measure that proximity. It feels to me as though accepting a claim to truth with the reverence of truth itself is the worship of a false idol. Thus, I cannot be religious. I'm devoted to something higher. Is this a paradox? Of course it is. It's as if the more is said about a thing, the further from the thing one has gotten. My religion would be something as banal as what is, is. What should be, should be. I have thus laid out two tenets. There is a truth, and there is what is right. My allegiance is to those two ideals. How shall we know what is true and what is right? By wrestling with God. Mm -hmm.